Slow down, you talking child. You're so ambitious and you're infantile. But then if you're so smart, tell me why are you still so evil? Where's the dog who is so deadpan? You better find him and craft a master plan. You've got so much to do and only 19 seasons in a day. Hey, but you know that when the truth is told that you can say what the do so you can just get old. You're gonna run out of all the many evil things to do. When will you realize Cohog waits for you? Slow down, you don't find you can't have world domination before your time. Although it's so damn tempting to just kill us tonight. Tonight. Too bad it's just the life you lead You got so many scary weapons and you're just a baby Though you can see your schemes fail You know you can't always see them succeed Succeed You've got Rupert and a time machine But don't you know Bertram's got you beat clean Rock on, but don't rock on too hard, Stu when will you realize Cohog waits for you? Whoa. Hell yeah. Taking us to the taking us to the last part of the song. Yeah, there is a musical, musical interlude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is where the uh the, it's a harmonium comes in. I don't know. Or the, yeah, it's a harmonium box. It's a beautiful Slow down, you talking child. Take a day off the show and disappear for a while. It's all right, you carry that thing since season two. Ooh, when will you realize Cohog waits for you? And you know that when the truth is told That you can say what to do So you can just get old You're gonna run out of all the many evil things to do Little Stew, when will you realize Cohog waits for you When will you realize Trickle out there. <laughs> 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 Yay! <laughs> Damn. Hell yeah! Oh. Hell yeah! Wow, that was incredible. Amazing. That was incredible. <laughs> I told you, I told you, Mason. I didn't think you were gonna like that one very much, but uh, I'm glad I did it. Why <laughs> wouldn't I like that one? That's my favorite Billy Joel song, <laughs> as you know. It's the one that As I, I know. Yeah, that was the one that took the tournament. Yeah, back in June when we did our June Joel Jamboree, that was the one that took your bracket all the way oh, home, wow. baby. That was the one that got you uh got you to the top. But uh Damn. yeah, thanks for uh thanks for indulging me on that one. Uh welcome to It's on the List. This is the podcast about underrated movies and music and much, much more. I am of course the funny talking baby who that song was about, and with me as always is my co-host, the funny talking dog, Mason McGuire. What's up, Mace? How are we? I'm great. I'm great. I was kind of surprised you didn't do um, Vienna Waits for Stew. 
damn it, fuck. <laughs> Should have done Vienna Waits for Stu. You yeah. can do the whole thing That's again. Good. I mean, we've done it before on the show. <laughs> well, here, well, here's what we'll do. After the fact, I'll record the alternate version <laughs> for you. Send it to you. I don't want to. I don't want our guests to sit through that monstrosity uh, no, no, no. Oh, again. My God. No, but I'm great, man. It was. 59 degrees in Chicago to get today. It's going to be 60 throughout Ooh. the rest of the week. I am. I got some good porch time in today. My therapist bumped up our sessions to now every other week. Let's go, baby. I'm, Hell yes. I'm rocking and rolling, man. And we got some very special guests with us on the show today. No, yes, we do. Why don't you yes. do the honors? I, yeah, I'll introduce our, our, our fine feathered friends coming to us all the way. From the East Coast, our guests today are documentary filmmakers whose films include Florida Man, American Juggalo, and Oxiana. They also host the Very 8 Podcast, which you can get on all major podcasting platforms, as well as the video feed on their YouTube channel, Very Ape, where you can see all those aforementioned films and a lot more. If you listen to my favorite podcast, yet. You better have listened to their episode that we did with them because that one was a riot. I think it's one of the best episodes I've done of that show. Please welcome back to a Noah Marger podcast, but thanking their podcast debut on It's on the List, Sean Dunn and Cass Greener. Hello, Sean and Cass. That's yeah. right, baby. Oh, oh hell yeah. yeah. Oh, we we arrive in a shaking. cloud of dust. We're just, we're just imagine <laughs> a fucking magical rainbow dust cloud and we just appear. Amazing! Hell yeah! Hell yeah! Welcome! Hell yeah! Welcome! What's the vibe? What's the vibe today, Sean and Cass? Oh man, the vibe's high and tight as always. It's uh, it's a pleasure because we got to listen to this Ween album today and watch American Boy. Yes, we did Hell both yeah. those things today. Yeah, smoking some weed that we just got, feeling incredible, feeling alive and awake. And uh, we recently just started a new um. A morning show called the Come Up. So that's right. We're putting hey. out like a 15-minute thing every day, so it feels really good. It's a lot of feedback. It's cool. That's really what, cool. What's the uh, What's the story behind starting the morning show? How did you guys just land on that as like a new venture? Well, basically, when we sit down for breakfast at like one in the afternoon, um, we're like, <laughs> oh, let's watch a little something. Let's see what's going on in the world. Let's connect. And right. we always just wish there was something that wasn't like news based and depressing. So we we're like, oh, let's yeah. create that show. <laughs> yeah. Like, what would Hell a psychedelic yeah. morning show be? The come up. So, yeah. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. I like yeah, that. I've caught. I caught a couple of like I think I watched that first one that you guys did when I was like oh they're doing the morning yeah. show now and I'm like damn yeah I feel centered I feel ready to attack the day I feel I feel epic I guess for lack of <laughs> yeah. a better word so yeah. thank you guys for starting that and putting that out into the world and yeah, totally. you've got the ween hat on Sean mm-hmm. believe yeah. it or not yeah damn repping yeah did you pick that up at a concert or something like yeah, that yeah the last you, concert we that? saw we saw the uh ween on valentine's day weekend 2020 and that was the last concerts we saw we go to see show that's why we live in new york city to go see shows and uh sure that's yeah. been a year so yeah it was Damn, a, an dude. epic weekend and we grabbed this on the way out support them hell yeah hell yeah, hell yeah. <clears throat> that's awesome hell yes all right well mace should we just get into this bad boy? Let's or do Cass? it. Hey, we, we didn't, we didn't, I guess I didn't even ask you. What's the vibe for you? Sean said hi and tight. What's the vibe for you? Same. How are we feeling? Same. I feel great. I'm so grateful to be here. I, I will say okay, your good. podcast has been one of the favorite we've done. So oh, yeah. uh, it was no oh my God. question whether Hell or not yeah. we'd 
do this yeah, one. Yeah, that's the one we want to send to people when they're when we've been on other people's podcasts because we got to talk about acid the whole time. So. And you're such a pro. We yeah. appreciate, yeah. We appreciate yeah, all brother. the production value put into it. Come on, let's gas oh. him up. Let's gas up the boy here. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, man. I don't even know what to say to that right now. That's crazy to me to hear, but I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Thanks for coming back. Like I said, I'm glad I didn't scare you guys off after what we did on the last episode. And you guys felt brave enough to come back for round two, basically. And this time you get to do it with my friend Mace. And we're going to talk about, you know, we're going to talk about some some art this time. Last time I think we talked about maybe an enhancer to art. This time yeah. we're going to talk about the art itself. Uh, and first up on the docket, we got some ween. We got yeah. 1992's Pure Guava by Ween. Snap, snap, snap. Let's get some snaps going in the chat for Pure Guava yeah. by Ween. Hell yeah. Yes, yeah. Chef. You guys could have picked, in theory, any album. You know, we yeah. I know we talked a little bit about Ween uh, at the very start of our interview on my favorite podcast. But why why go with this album and why Ween? What, what does Ween mean to you guys? Not to do some <laughs> rhyming here. Some, some rhyming, but what's Ween mean? Man, Ween... Ween is a portal for us, you know, because we we came to Ween late in life, I think, compared to a lot of people. Okay. Uh, like, yeah. talk tw- ni- 2019 was when someone was oh, like, shit. Oh, you really? guys listen to Ween? Yeah, and we just got into them, really. And we were just wow. like, oh, okay. we haven't really explored Ween. The name's kind of weird. And he kind of just turned us on, and it was like this portal of wow, the coolest band we've ever listened to that feels like they're, it's endlessly enjoyable and it's uh, connected us and our friends deeply because a lot of our friends hadn't celebrated Ween either. So yeah. we like all were able to get into Ween together and it was Yeah, it's been a nice. really big vortex in our world because like we were so enthusiastically like tearing through all their stuff. And we, uh, you know, before the pandemic, we used to have a lot of people come through here and they uh, inevitably sure. when we're playing Ween, everyone is like, what's this song? Oh, it's Ween. <laughs> right. The next song comes on, which sounds like a completely different band, completely different genre. Yeah. And like, yeah. What's now? What's this? I'm like Ween. You know, like like it's crazy. I don't know what the fuck is it's up with this band. It's the same shit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's the same it's the album. Same guy that you were just hearing. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. We didn't flip it on you. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Mason, we talked about Ween almost a year ago, didn't we? Just about. Yeah. It was one of our first, I think, pandemic era shows. We had our friend Rocky on and he talked. The movie he brought on was High Art, I Heart Huckabees. And he wanted mm. to also bring on the soundtrack for I Heart Huckabees. But uh, we kind of bullied him away from that decision, <laughs> even though it's something that we had actually accommodated, I think, literally a week later. And yeah. in lieu of bringing on the John Bryan soundtrack for I Heart Huckabees, he brought on The Mollusk by Ween. And that was oh, kind of my really? first. Yeah, yeah. Well, not really. I mean, so Ocean Man was big for like our kind of generation because that's like, that was in the SpongeBob movie. And I think that was a lot of people's yeah. way in. And we always had like, my library always had a handful of Ween CDs. And it was one of the more like kind of alter out there stuff that my library had. So I was always like, that's maybe crazy. I should get into this. But I couldn't find like my entryway. But I liked a handful of songs here or there. And then we I heard The Mollusk for the first time. It was kind of de facto my relationship, the start of that relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we, I like that album a lot. And, I mean, I, no, why don't you speak to your relationship with Ween? Because I can't remember that conversation we had a year sure. ago that was recorded and I could have used for reference. <laughs> yeah, he could have easily gone back and been like, hmm, what does Noah think about this shit? <laughs> um, Ween has been interesting because that was when we talked with our friend Rocky about uh, The Mollusk. That was my first real 
dive in in like a significant way. They were my first. That was my first like look at them on the service. I had heard Ocean Man obviously because it was in the SpongeBob movie, like Mason said, but I hadn't really ever given them the time of day. But I had a friend in college who loved Ween and still loves Ween. He loves them so much that he went to go see them at Red Rocks in like oh. 2016 or 2017. Jealous. He like. Did I know he did the drive from we were in Southern California at the time, did the drive from Southern California to Colorado to see them at Red Rocks do like a reunion show or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he had the the Boogney shirt and I never really knew like what was going on with that. And I'm like, what is that? And he's like, oh, that's so that's Ween's like God. That's like Ween's like character that they yeah. like are known for. I'm like, oh, OK, cool. Never thought about it. Did not care to like <laughs> go in further than that at the time. But we listened to the mollusk on the show. And I really enjoyed it. It actually made my top ten, like, favorite things that we covered from the first year of doing the show. Because, Mason, we're almost at the year and a half mark, if you can believe it. That's fucking nuts to think about, actually. But That is uh, uh, nuts. This is episode 64, I believe, of our podcast, which is nuts for me to think about. (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of crazy. But but after that, uh, I was just like, they had just, like, kind of stayed in my head after we did that, like, year in review or whatever. So I'm like, I kind of want to get into these guys a little bit more. And so I listened to Quebec. Mm. And then after I listened to Quebec, I think after very recently after we did our show, Sean and Cass is like I had like come off listening to Quebec maybe like four days or whatever prior. And since then, I went in for Chocolate and Cheese. Uh, I went in for their live album, Live at Cat's Cradle. Oh, dude. Was amazing. (laughs) Holy shit. God, man. (laughs) We could have have done this episode about that. Yes. There was some there was some I don't know if we've ever done a live album on this show per se. That would be interesting territory. That's uncharted. Well we've done Lewis Black's Rules of Enragement, which you can categorize (laughs) as a live album. (laughs) That's true. I guess we did go that we did decide (laughs) to go down that scary road. But um But that was kind of a nice table setter for Pure Guava because there were some songs that I recognized uh, from the live album, Big Jim, uh, Don't Get Too Close to My Fantasy or, you know, all that stuff. It was like (laughs) one of the best versions on that. Oh, it was one of those where sometimes when you hear the live version of a song and you're like only used to hearing the studio version – it like can replace the only version of that song that you ever want to listen to just being yeah. the live version. Oh, I yeah. think the big example, at least prior to that in my mind, was the Talking Heads version of This Must Be The Place from Stop mm. Making Sense. I think once you hear yeah. that that live version of that song, it's near impossible to go back to the studio yeah. cut because it has just such insane energy and such like vibrancy that the studio version doesn't. The studio version is nice, but like once you've heard that live version, it's like forget about it man yeah, like, yeah that's, man. that's the only version i want yeah, yeah exactly. it was um, all downhill from there after that for them too like they captured that like <laughs> pinnacle moment and fuck man and then it was just it was just yeah it was just like well we did it <laughs> and together. everything else was just sort of like <laughs> yeah well, I mean, they did guess. it they did the thing like you watch that and you're like yeah this is a masterpiece yeah 100 percent. well i'm curious what the correlation is because you touched on it a little bit when we talked last time what is the correlation between Ween and psychedelics for you guys? I know psychedelics are, are big for you. LSD is big for you. Yeah. And I heard you drop Ween a little bit in that conversation. What mm. is it like listening to Ween on psychedelics 
and why are they a go-to for you on that? I, I feel like psychedelics led us to Ween because um, I, I like they've been in my life my whole life. Like I've always known about Ween. I just never thought to listen sure. to them. Uh, like it mm. just seemed like too weird. Like I was I was like more of sure. a punker, and I, you know, I wanted things to make sense. I didn't like I just didn't know what the fuck that was, and I didn't even want to know. And um, yeah, the psychedelics like loosen you up. It, it just it just teared down some boundaries, and my musical tastes expanded a lot. And, you know, Ween is like a tentacle off of the stuff I grew up listening to. There's definitely, like, oh, it's, sure. it's like punk and the Beatles, like, found each other and yeah, these two yeah. dudes. Um, That's interesting, comparing them to the Beatles. I've never thought about them as, like, a like an offshoot of the Beatles. Why do you say that? Oh, I think, uh, to me, Dean and Ween are, or Dean and Gene are fucking uh, John and Paul of America, you know, for, for underground okay. music. Hell yeah, brother. <laughs> They've written written as many good songs. They've written maybe even more good songs. They've written over a thousand songs, and um, I feel like once oh you God. crack the code with with Ween, it all starts sounding good. But when like people are first getting into it, I'm like, start start at the end. Start like with with uh, okay. Quebec or um, uh, what what was what's the fucking other one? We just got the one right before Quebec. Chocolate and cheese. Oh, uh, white, oh, like Quebec, white pepper. Start going backwards, then the mollusk, then chocolate and cheese. Because you're not you're not gonna be ready for pure guava or the pod. You're sure. not gonna no, be no. Like, <laughs> you know, or or God or God weaned Satan. You're not gonna be ready for that stuff. So work backwards. But then once you crack the code, I don't know what song did it for me, but like you hear through. There's a song called uh, Molly on um, on the pod. And it's fucking okay. twisted. It's brown as fuck. That you know that, that we, <laughs> Hell yeah. It's just fucking brown town. It's fucked up. But like, I was like, I shouldn't like this. Like you know, like it's it's abrasive. But like it just wormed its way right. in there. And like I feel like that one cracked the code. And then all of a sudden I understood Ween. And I was like, oh, I feel it all. It was like it was like I understood the scriptures. I was like, oh my god, I fucking get this band. <laughs> And I don't really yeah. come across a thing by them I don't really like. They just they're they're tapped into it. What about you, Cass? Has has Ween sort of was that a similar situation for you and Ween? Did you have a little bit of a different path with them? What about you? I mean, we have the uh, the path is a, the the entrance way was the exact same because we were together with a friend, and he's like, he loves all our mu all the music we play, and he's like, do you guys ever you never play Ween? You like Ween? And we're like, oh, just never got into them. He's like, throw on the mollusk also, uh, mutilated lips. And I like stepped out of the okay. room for a second and I walk back in and I'm like, what is this? Yeah, you know? we were in Jamaica. <laughs> yeah. We were in Jamaica on, on a commercial shoot and we had taken acid. It was the last day of the shoot. And, <laughs> and we were like, let's trip acid on this shoot. And wow. uh, on, during the come up, we're waiting for this bus to come pick us up. My friends like just threw on uh, mutilated lips on this dope sound system, which full blast yeah. in Jamaica with the fucking doors open and the breeze coming through. Oh, wow. Mutilated lips comes on. And I was like, oh, my God, what the fuck is this band? Like, I need to Damn. hear everything by them. Yeah, we, we were addicted. I mean, that was summer 2019, and we've been addicted ever since. Uh, yeah, and as far as psychedelics, I will say, like, the most psychedelic thing I've done with Ween, besides everything, is, like, nitrous. <laughs> nitrous. Uh, yeah, I've done a lot of nitrous with Ween, and to the yeah. point where I, I don't do nitrous anymore. I You know, I've had a very, I had a brief stint, but uh, they took me there to the point where there's this song by Ween, The Rift, where I can, like, I feel the nitrous every time I hear it. Yeah. They've been, like, wow. mel melded experiences for me. Yeah, our relationship with Ween kind of goes hand in hand with our relationship with ketamine and nitrous. Like, we were discovering that band and wow. those those drugs at the same time. 
and a lot of the, a lot of Ween's music was inspired by psychedelics and and, f- and fucking far out drugs and you know just yeah, a lot of mushrooms on the mollusk and a lot you know. of mushrooms you know they, and they've talked about all that sure. so uh, yeah for us listening to it has gone hand in hand and we have these like you know the, these little fucking Sunday drug session church things over here and sure. just playing that loud or playing like uh, the Chicago Live DVD that they put out oh, okay. and like full blast and just project that up and like people fall in love with this band like how can you not like it's just like yeah it's so american it's just like really i'm like yes this makes me fucking proud of america ween makes me proud of america. <laughs> very <laughs> fucking yeah. few things do but ween makes me proud of america hell yeah Oh, yeah. I love he that. makes me proud to be an American. That is yeah. get that tattooed right across your face. Yeah. That's so good. <laughs> Mason, have you did you feel I guess, you know, what Sean and Cass are saying that like song that cracks the code for Ween for you? Do you feel like you have a song that cracked the code for you with I think Ween? it was for me it was uh last year when we did the show it was it's going to be all right yeah. uh, off of the mollusk. Uh because just I especially because we were doing that episode in March of last year in the very beginning of the pandemic and just like having uh, a band that was like that earnest in the middle of all of the kind of like other weirdness that that album is like like was like okay like these guys have a heart in the right fucking place like I can get oh, into yeah. them through this here um, so that was sort of the one that unlocked at least that album for me and it was like so refreshing listening to Pure Guava to like know that that heart was still intact and like that old even you know because this is oh what, yeah like two three years before the mollusk i don't remember when the mollusk comes in. three years mollusk, before. i think was 97 yeah so this is 92 so a couple Five, years before yeah. him yeah um i thought it was i think cool. it's yeah that's it was it's weird when you hear them for the first time i feel like i remember listening to the mollusk for that episode and not being like 100% on board with it like right away just being like damn hmm. like this is kind of weird this is kind of like <laughs> prickly a little bit like you know some of it tastes sweet some of it tastes sour some of it just kind of tastes bad i think like off <laughs> yeah. the rip like i wasn't 100 percent sure but for some reason the song the blarney stone just kicked my ass yes it yes. just <laughs> just absolutely kicked me like square in the cheeks and i was like okay like we're doing this like i am totally on board mm-hmm. like having an irish like barroom brawl drinking song <laughs> in the middle of your kind of nautical themed album a little bit kind of like just like weird it does feel like tentacles that album does a little bit like straight that album does feel like tentacles yeah it's crazy like squidward's listening to that album or something but that's the song for me that i think like broke the broke the door open broke cracked the code as you guys were saying Mm. um but yeah, there is always a little bit of I think a code breaking moment, especially with weirdness like this yeah you guys know that ween inspired spongebob we do, yes. Okay. Yes. okay. That was a point of that was a point of discussion on the previous episode, but uh, yes, 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 yes. That's yeah. And uh, SpongeBob is another great piece of American culture and art. So Absolutely. It's just, just good leading on to good, you know. Yeah. yeah. Are you guys SpongeBob heads down there? I'm a little too old for it. I don't know. Were you ever into okay. SpongeBob? I've seen a few episodes. I'm a little. I think I'm a little too old for it too. I could see yeah, getting into yeah. it though. You know. I never not? saw the movie or would, anything. Well, here's here's what I'll send you guys some episode recs. Yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Over no, that. for sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. It is truly one of my favorite things in the entire world. And maybe if you didn't grow up with it, maybe you didn't watch it when you were a kid, it might not hit as hard. But there's some classic apps that I think could go toe to toe with, like The Sopranos and Mad Men oh, and yeah. like wow. great prestige TV. Yeah. So no, I get yeah, it. Yeah, I get definitely it. Definitely worth looking into. I grew up on. Uh, uh, I was more Ren and Stimpy. Like, uh, yeah, me too. yeah. Okay. And, yeah, yeah. 
that's some fucked up shit. That's kind of like that the is, fucking I was, ween of cartoons. It's like, what is yeah, this? Yeah, that show was banned in my household. There was no <laughs> Ren and Stimpy in my house when I was when I was a little, little boy. But Yeah, uh, can you imagine? That was controversial. Like, I remember I wanted a Ren and Stimpy shirt, and my mom, uh, th- she thought twice about it. And she, she also Real wouldn't out. let me she wouldn't let me get the Simpsons shirt that said um, I'm an underachiever and proud of it. She was like she let me get any other Mom's one. Still like, like, no, yeah, yeah. I wanted she to get like, my that's fr- not cool. <laughs> I wanted to get my friend Jake a shirt that said uh, that had Bruce Springsteen's face and said the only boss I'll listen to. And oh, my we mom, have that shirt. That's a great shirt. And I wanted to get <laughs> yeah. it for my friend Jake, and my mom thought it was funny, but then she's like, well. I don't want Jake to wear it to work and get in trouble or something. I'm like, he works at GameStop and he's 16 years old. Like, let's, let's pump the brakes a little bit, please. Yeah, he's fine. not going to get in trouble. Um, I think for my, for my mom, that well, my parents were like very anti-Simpsons and South Park and Family Guy. That's probably why I fucking turned up the way I am. Now doing fucking song parodies about Family Guy before I start my podcast. But I remember she was also anti-Rugrats for some reason. Interesting. For, and I... I don't know why, and then I like like my dad was like talking about it or whatever. I was like, "Yeah, why was mom anti Rugrats?" And he just like <sighs> sighed and like put his head to his hand. And was like, she just didn't like that they called the kids Rugrats. Wow. <laughs> and I was just like, mom, yeah. come on, that's crazy. That's just an insane thing to hear, especially like knowing like how tame it actually is and being like, oh, this show's fine. I would show it. sounds like something you would back. say. Like, oh, I don't like that. You don't like you don't like that they're calling him Rugrats, Cass? Cass doesn't like name calling, you know, and in, in at any all way. just in general. No. no. Okay. I just like all to right. keep it well, sweet. Maybe... I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Keep I it sweet. That. Stay away from the Rugrats then. <laughs> because they're calling those kids Rugrats. But should we actually dive in and talk about pure guava itself yeah, and talk yeah, a little let's bit do about it. the album? Uh, first and foremost, Sean and Cass, uh, what do you like about this album specifically? Like, what really hits for you uh, listening to Pure Guava? Well, I I, I really love uh, the subversiveness that they... It's so unapologetically ween based on their previous two releases, which are brown as fuck. And they kept taking sure. it in that direction. And this was on a major label. And I'm just right. like floored by that, that a major label apparently paid $200,000 for this album and they spent $42 making it, which is of, of <laughs> course, like, that's our kind of shit. That's like the DIY yeah, sure. aesthetic. That's like the only way we're able to make films is because we can like do it in that spirit. And sure. uh, yeah, I just, I just really deeply appreciate it. And I love, um, it's kind of what we were just talking about with this band. There's a barrier to entry. They'll put prickly ass. There's fucking thorn bushes and a moat outside the castle yep. of Ween. Yeah. And, and you're like, I don't, can I even get in there? What the fuck is the deal there? And then you realize, you're like, oh, this is like, there's just like a thick, dense vibe that's, that's their barrier to entry. But like once you're in it, you're swimming in this album of like incredible songs that had they been produced any other way would have been like number one hits. So yeah. I just love That's that they, they yeah. just stuck with it because you hear some of these songs done live or covered other ways and you're like, that's as good as any Beatles song. Like, what the fuck, you know? Wow. But on the album, it's like, it's all pitched down or fucking uh, hyped up right. or f- you mm-hmm. don't even understand what the hell's going on. They're purposely playing their instruments like like fucking slow adults. Like, it's, <laughs> you know. Damn, damn. <laughs> A drum well, machine. <laughs> yes a drum machine is crazy I, I i like noticed that the second time i was listening i was like oh it's like just them yep. in the studio yeah. like straight up like it's just two guys going in there and being like 
how can we fuck around for mm-hmm. an hour, you know, and how yeah. can we translate that playful, irreverent, sub, like subversive <clears throat> energy into songs that like have beauty to them, but it's like a bruised beauty almost. I feel yeah. like it's like the apple that's a little bruised is still sweet. Mm-hmm. It's just a little bruised. And if you're willing to look past, quote unquote, look past the bruisedness, that might be the best apple you've ever had in your life. Like yeah. you never know. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Absolutely. Can you talk can you can you describe what brown is uh, for our listeners who might not be as familiar? Yeah, brown is something I've uh, you know it's spread into it's it's come into our vernacular to describe a lot of things, but it's like it describes the Ween aesthetic, which is it's exactly like when you listen to pure guava, that's like it it's brown, it's like um, it off, you know, it, it's mm-hmm. like you know there, there's a, like you just picture like there's like blue notes and there, and there's white notes and like people want to make their music sound good and and like aesthetically right. pleasing and these guys are almost doing the opposite they're like pulling things slightly out of key they're playing chord progressions that you're just like what the fuck is this and uh like obviously gene using all different kind of characters to sing in different voices all mm-hmm. this stuff kind of combines in this fucking vortex of that they call brown and it just it sucks you in and it's uh it's when things feel a little off kilter it's when sure. it's when you know it's uh, if you've ever done ketamine it's like it really feels <laughs> like that like that's how it feels like where you're just like what the fuck it feels like your eyes are on like two different planes and you're just like what the Damn. fuck is and that that's how it sounds mm-hmm. i don't know how would you describe it how would you describe brown i think you nailed it <laughs> <laughs> yeah well yeah. Cass, what's the uh what's 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 for you the standout qualities or what do you like about this album specifically i mean i think piggyback off what sean was saying like i don't know we're such people who have demoitis often like our friends who are musicians will send us songs that they recorded on their iphone and we'll be like it's perfect yeah you know and yeah. so sure. and then the, they give us the studio recording like a few months later and we're like cool yeah damn so there, <laughs> sounds yeah. like money yeah. i don't know it doesn't sound real yeah. it sounds like money yeah <laughs> so there's like something mm-hmm. about the production value that i'm really attracted to and the other thing is like while i love chocolate and cheese and i love the mollusk and i love quebec it's there's a lack of consistency, which is like works for them, but like this is like a solid vibe. It's not like oh, there's one song that's like takes you way out. It's like a yeah, the sure. mollusk is all over the place. The chocolate and cheese is. is all yeah. over yeah. the place. This is like yeah, swimming in the muck, all the way through. Probably because of the drum machine, and probably because of yeah, just I really it makes I just it's one of my favorite albums because of that from them. Even though I do love the range that they have on all their albums. We were playing it loud today, man, and we were just like yeah. diving into yeah. these songs and it hold it like just thinking about it because I was like, okay, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna speak to this now. So like, let me let me listen in a different way. Every song that came out, I was like, this is my fucking favorite Ween song. Like this, Damn. every fucking song. I love on that. that. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. also a perfect blend of like love song and fuck you songs. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Oh sure, a hundred percent. What what what's? Let me just pull up that track list right yeah, here. Yeah, pull it up. For what do you? Us. What, yeah, so we got Little Birdie to start out the album mm-hmm. into Tender Situation into Woo. The Stallion Part Woo. 3. What What's one on here that I guess you would describe as a fuck you song? I'm curious now that you say it. Reggae say it Junkie like Jew. Reggae Junkie Jew. Okay. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's definitely a more of a fuck love. you than a love you song. Yeah. yeah. Um, Pumping for the Man, definitely a fuck you song. Yeah. Uh, How pro- about a ha- Probably ha- one that I 
would definitely come back to. I think I would just like if I just wanted to listen to like one what, thing. What, off this how album. do you guys feel? What do you guys think? Hey, fat boy, asshole is a, a yeah, fuck you <laughs> song or a <laughs> that, love that's song. what I was gonna say. Oh, next. it's hard to say where they're coming from with that one. <laughs> yeah, not sure, not sure on that one. What about you, Mason? Though, what do you what do you like specifically about this album, or what was your experience listening to this? So, in because uh, so. Uh, I was very excited to have you guys on the show. It did just sort of mess with my podcast sort of equilibrium a little bit, but it's fine. It's fun to get to, to kick <laughs> off tilt. So I listened to this album last night for the first time when I was just getting dinner together because I'm like, you know, I want to have one listen to this where I'm just like kind of uh, just feeling it basically, like using it to help me like get through a task like cooking. And so I'm making this and... Uh, it was so nice to listen to an album and just be, just, just have my attention, like, just be fucking with my attention that much, I guess is what I'm trying to say. I was, I had a great time listening to it though. And then this morning when I got up, since it was so nice out, I just sat on the porch. I was just relaxing and I was like, I'm going to listen to the Ween album again. And I really fell for it this time. I really fell for it on the second time. I, I really enjoyed and appreciated the kind of... Uh, and found, I think, the kind of the the heart that I uh, was looking for. And I ended up, re- the first time listening through, for sure, I gave my little Spotify heart to Push the Little Daisies. Sure. And then on the yes. second go through, I gave a heart to basically every other song on the album. So that's how my uh, journey with this one has, has changed. So, Noe, what was your yes. experience like listening to Pure Guava? Yeah, uh, I'm. I I guess I'm have a little bit more ween under my belt than I thought I did. Like coming in, I was like, oh, I got chocolate and cheese and Quebec and the live album Live at Cat's Cradle under my belt, and I'm like, so I'm a little. I'm like coming in a little cocky. I'm coming in yeah. like, yeah. you know, I got I got some ween experience behind me. Like nothing's gonna trip me up here, and I was dead fucking wrong <laughs> because there's some wild wild shit on this album. Just seeing that a song is called Touch My Tutor come up on your phone (laughs) as you're listening to this, which might be my personal favorite song. I knew you were going to say that. I had a feeling. (laughs) I had a feeling that was going to be the one. It's my favorite song because... Because, because coincidentally, Mason asked me to do that every single time we start up the podcast. He touched my tutor, and I'm like, "Buddy, I gotta go to Chicago to do that." No, no thanks. Um, but this, this, what really struck me about this album specifically is like kind of what you were saying, Cass. Is in the mollusk, you're all over the place. In chocolate and cheese, you're you know dipping into different waters. You're dipping. You're trying different foods out, basically to some different food groups. With this, I was so impressed with the consistency and also how scary it can be at times. I don't necessarily feel like with the other Ween albums that I've heard that I'm ever like viscerally creeped out, but there are some <laughs> songs on here that were kind of viscerally creeping me out. I don't know if I can listen to Flies on My Dick like right. yeah. anytime soon. Like Morning that song's is a scary, scary song. Here. Morning yeah. Glory scary. It's yeah. just this I, big I distorted like nightmare and like but I don't I know. You, you so like cool. that one? Maybe? I like that. That That's one got brown. a heart for me. That's Brown it is Town. Brown. That's yeah. the Brown. Like yeah. what, that came on today, and I and I go. Uh, I said to Cass, "This is the one," and she goes, "What do you mean by that?" I was like, "This is the this is the standard of Brown for Ween. Like the, like <laughs> sure. If you asked fans like name their brownest track that made it onto an album, it would probably be that one. It's gnarly. It's like <laughs> it's 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 an it's you know if you're not you know have if you don't have like a like a background for them or you don't have like a 
an idea of what you're getting into, I could see that one being a big endurance test for some people who are maybe yeah, coming dude. in dry and just being like, hey, why am I fucking bothering with this? Why am dude. I Why am I even getting there? But, yeah, that, that one would is be especially a fun, gnarly. Uh, that would be a, a fun series in itself. Ween out of context. play Playing, like, the brownest songs for people that have never even heard Ween and be like, all right, how are you? Put it up yeah. on the touch tunes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Get your totally. Little, get your little... <laughs> get your get your YouTube get your YouTube. Oh, that'd be great. That but, yeah, put uh, Poop Chip Destroyer on the touch tunes anytime you're in a bar yes. when they open again. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and just absolutely, just see uh, all the heads down and turn and just start to collect their things. Like I think it's time to go home. <laughs> um, but they're they're so good at. I, I'm going to use a term that maybe is a little bit more used in like film and TV, but I feel like they're so good at creating worlds. And I feel like yeah. when you are with and a musical artist, or really any artist, it doesn't matter, I think, the medium, if you can feel as though you are within their particular world, that's a dub for me, if you're an artist. And there's a fun fact coming up that I found extremely interesting. I don't know if you saw it, Mason, but you'll like it when I say it. Okay. Uh, and I was surprised, and then when I went back and listened to the album a second time, I was like, no, I'm not surprised when I heard that. And I know I'm, I'm, you know, being vague on purpose. But when I say it, I think if you don't know, you're going to be like, we're going to have a real mind blown. Our minds are going to be blown. Yeah, it's going to be a real. They did surgery on a great moment. You're just going to be like, oh my god, how could they do surgery on a great? But is there anything else worth saying specifically about this album, or can I dive into some fast facts? Oh, uh, I mean, I I could fucking go on about this album forever. Uh, Tender Tender Situation is just an incredible song. You should look up the acoustic version of it that they did. It's very special. All these songs live are completely different. Like, Touch My Tutor live brings the fucking house down. And it doesn't sound remotely like what it's on on the album. And we were actually reading a Dean Ween interview today where he said... uh, on the 20th anniversary of this album, somebody posted uh, the the album track, the album version of um, sure. "Touch My Tutor," and he and he clicked on it. He said he didn't even recognize it because mm-hmm. it, oh, because they, so they, same they, with Big Jim. W- with Big Jim, same thing. Like they they've taken it to dimensions in the live show that they they couldn't even remember what these original fucking total songs jam like. outs. You yeah, know? J- yeah, exactly. That song, Big Jim. Well, that like that yeah. could have been a number one hit. Like that, that, I feel like Blur stole that and made Song too. I put, play those side by side one of these days. Yeah. I, I'm pretty sure they stole that song from Ween. Wow. Okay, that's yeah. interesting. Little Can you like guys that. speak a little bit to the live experience of Ween? Like, what is it like entering? Like, where where yeah. where's your head at throughout the concert? What do you feel like when you're leaving? Just give me that Ween experience yeah. live. Well, we went out to um, this uh, festival in California called Desert Days to see them. They, they were headlining mm. one of the nights, and um, Devo played right before them. When we, once we saw that lineup, we were like, we have to go. So we went wow. out there, okay. and we Devo did a opening for, for Ween. That is really I cool. <laughs> I, I, I know it was fucking incredible night, like the best. So we um, took some acid before Devo. Acid sure. fully hit me. Like, Devo activated it, and I was just, like, flying in another <laughs> dimension. Like, it was crazy. And, and it was going to be our first time seeing Ween, and I was like, this is overwhelming. And Cass comes over to me, and she's like, all right, we were going to take the Molly now, which is called a candy flip. And we've only done okay. that once before, so I was so scared. I was like, oh, God, I don't know. I'm fucking already. I'm tripping balls right now, Cass. And we're around 7,000 people. This is crazy. And, and she's like, oh, yeah. let's just do it. And we just pop it down. And Hell yeah. we're waiting, and Ween comes out like it, like the Molly hit, 
the candy flip activated and Ween came out and played the whole chocolate and cheese album. It fucking come out. Take me away. Everyone wow. went fucking ape shit. Like, and, and it, like, <laughs> unlike a lot of other bands and a lot of other live experiences, because we're in New York City and everybody's at the concert, like, hmm, yo, you missed a note yeah, there. You know, like, yeah. it's, it's like yeah, this. Taking yeah. notes on their little notepad. Yeah, exactly. yeah. We, and, and, like, too cool for school. Ween fans are not that way. That, like, everybody around us was like, yo, you were about to fucking see Ween, man. And I'm like, <laughs> yes. yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah, man. Hell this yeah. Is, like, everyone was hyping up the vibe and they came out and just like it was it was transcendent and i remember getting downloads about what it is to even be an artist and that these guys met when they were 14 years old in eighth grade typing class and they yep. had this shared vision and this shared sense of humor and built this little universe and were so committed to the universe that they didn't care if this universe accepted it and they kept sticking with it and sticking with it and now i'm watching them on stage and they're 50 years old and they're slaying yeah. the hearts of fucking 19-year-olds tripping out, uh, you know. And it's just like you just see how this art project has like snowballed and snowballed. And it's just a, like it's a beautiful thing. And I know a lot of their music is really silly, but a lot of it is like really brilliant. And like the, the stuff like they, they make you go through that fucking gauntlet of, of fucking brown yeah. to get to these like these gems that are just fucking incredible. And just to see them on stage however many it's, it's, like, however many years later it's fucking insane it's like it, it made me cry i was just like holy shit wow. these two dudes they're still committed yeah. to this thing and they're bringing us this this fucking weird ass vibe that was uh, is more relevant now than than when they put it out they were playing to empty rooms yeah. that that show that cat's cradle show they yeah. said there was nine people there you know oh my God. nine Wild. people and you can hear it and they fucking it was it was an amazing show. It was like like it's it's ridiculous. So you know, I just I love that spirit as artists ourselves. You know, yeah. a lot of times you're like, why am I doing this, man? Like, what the fuck am I yep. even doing? And you know, to see these guys who are just a little bit ahead in the journey than us, like they they're keeping it going. It's super inspiring. And yeah, Absolutely. we're like we're, we we want to be that. the Dean and Gene of documentaries. So yes, <laughs> yeah, come on, say yes. it, will it manifest it? We can make yeah, it happen. Yeah, Hell we'll yeah. do everything in our power to perpetuate you guys as the Dean and Gene Ween of documentaries. Yeah. Well, uh, and, and dude, we actually, and then, uh, not even to mention, so then after we saw them at Desert Days, we were like, yeah. that was the best live music experience of our life. And we've I've seen 600 concerts. Uh, and so sure. we're hyping it up to all our friends. Everyone's learning about this band. And then they came here Valentine's Day weekend, and 10 of us went over to the show. And everyone took Molly, and we yeah. uh, had the most fucking incredible. We finished a tank of nitrous in one night, which is uh, inappropriate. Oh, but you know, I'm just being honest <laughs> with the people. I'm being honest, yeah, what went into be that honest. weekend. Yeah, but yeah, a lot of fun. Like just, just fucking like they they play three hours and they shred you. Hell yeah, they yeah. melt your face off. I mean, I really appreciate that. Like, if you like Ween, like if I meet a fan of Ween, I'm like, I know you have a sense of humor. You know, there's yeah, like yeah. not many fans of bands you can say that uh, confidently about. Which oh, is like I know cool. I'm gonna like yeah. you. You like Ween? I like we we speak the same language. Yeah, they've created like an inside yeah. joke yeah. world, yes. which is really cool. Yeah, and it's honestly their their songs are so simple in some respects, or you know, talking about walking to the gas station or whatever it is that like I walk around and being like, fuck, I wish I could 
make music i want to make music like these guys like i yeah. want to be inspired the way they are to to write songs and stuff so and bring all this weird language and ceremonies and rituals like tuesday's pizza day i don't even know why we just say it every tuesday tuesday's pizza day because it's a ween <laughs> lyric you know yeah. <laughs> it's a tender yeah. situation we we say that all the time oh this is indeed a tender situation you know like mm, the, their damn. whole language of these weird ass words talking about squelching weasels and fucking god knows what he, what any of this shit even means but we love it right you know, look at the look at the words to the stallion part three it's like fucking some insane ancient future fucking cave scrolling of uh stoner wisdom and it's like what the fuck is this one of my favorite <laughs> yeah, I'm songs i'm pulling the lyrics up right now i'm pulling <laughs> the lyrics up right now what do we got let's just let's just let's just look i'm just gonna read you the first stanza and that is Mach 10 at sudden speed, flying into the wind now. I'm flying at my feet, something of likeness to you now. I spotted you in the sun. I called your name from a distance. I knew you were the one. I called again. I do declare I can float in the air, and with some love from above, you must. I mean, just <laughs> brilliant. Wild. Just absolutely yeah. insane, like right off the rip. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. It's that they've, it's, they've gone beyond music in a way. They've created yeah. a culture they created a mm -hmm. universe they've created a i like you um, i don't want to say a religion but they've created just sort of this yeah. world in which you can exist within you know it goes more than just the music that's on the page it's Bugnish. it's like you're saying saying yeah. brown and tuesday's pizza day it's <laughs> it's a whole thing yeah. Yeah. So maybe maybe you and i should should <laughs> flip and maybe we should maybe we should get some merch out there so people start saying yes chef and we can create our own little culture around that it works yeah it I, works. hey i'm down man i'm down i'm down hell yes uh Here's anything else merch, worth by noting? the way Oh, fuck that yes. is okay. so tight. Okay, that is a really tight shirt, folks. We will put a link to their uh, to their website and all their shit in the description, of course. But uh, the shirt that Sean is wearing has uh, it's black. It's got a cool like kind of uh, interstellar it's like a chessboard. Yeah, Church yeah. of Chill is what it says. It's really tight. Uh, hell yeah! <laughs> hell yeah! Can I give you all some fast facts? I'll I would love some yeah. fast yeah, let's facts. Let's do it. Okay, let's do it. Uh, like you said, Sean, uh, Ween is an American rock band from New Hope, Pennsylvania, formed in 84, 1984, by childhood friends Aaron Freeman and Mickey Melchion. Uh, is it... Is it Melchiondo? Melchiondo? Melchiondo. Okay, Melchiondo. Better known by Gene and Dean Ween. After meeting, like you said, in middle school typing class, the two began playing music and immediately chose the name Ween as their sort of Ramones-inspired pseudonym. Uh, while generally categorized as alt-rock, the band is known for their highly eclectic catalog of songs inspired by funk, soul, country, gospel, prog, psychedelia, R&B, heavy metal, punk rock, pretty much everything under the sun, all blended up into one to create whatever you're hearing in any given moment. Uh, mm. Mason, this is the one that's going to blow your mind. Are you oh, ready okay. For this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Both Freeman and Melchiondo have stated several times, drum roll, bah, da, 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 that their number one influence was Prince. Yeah. Oh, dude, I yes. was going to say that. I was going to say that. Yes. And it's we just we love covered. Yeah. What did we just go? Was it Artificial, Artificial Age? Hit one of his last albums. Um, an album that, like, when we. I brought it onto the show and I loved it when it came out. And then revisiting it, I, like, really fell hard for it. I think it's one of my favorite Prince albums, actually. It's oh, the cool. one that has, like. Yeah, he's got, like, the cool afro on the cover. Um, he's just, like, looking straight into your soul. It's really, really fucking cool. I love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, That's really crazy. cool. I love that. And. 
And yeah, they say that they love him. And, you know, it says here the Godween Satan track LMLYP borrows lyrics from Alphabet Street and Shockadelica. Additionally, on rare occasions, Ween has jammed Kiss in the middle of Voodoo Lady during live performances. Hell yeah. And then they've also done covers of 1999, Housequake, and Purple Rain. And then in 2012, Melchiondo remarked, saying, by far, hands down, the greatest living guitarist in any genre is Prince Rogers Nelson. Prince does so many things well that it's easy to forget that he is also a world-class shredder, which you actually say wrote it. on the last episode, right? Yeah, yeah you I said did. that. I did say that. Um, I did say that, so I'm glad that I, <laughs> we see eye to eye. Yeah, I'm glad you and Mel- yeah you and Mickey Melchiondo would get along really well. I think. Oh man, uh, yeah, that's our dream friend. We were, we were really trying to, we're really trying to make friends with him. We, Yo, we, he's on cameo. He's on cameo. We paid a hundred bucks to have him shout out Church of Chill and play a little song. Hell yes, hell yeah, <laughs> yeah. You guys got to get him on the pod. You I guys got to get him and you got. I mean, I know they're kind of on you know weird terms, both of them a little bit at, you know at times, but you got to try and get one, at least we'll get one them of the guys on the pod. <laughs> there you go. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, or yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, from Ween's earliest days, they claim to be, quote, sprouted from the demon god Bugnish. Uh, the image of Bugnish is the band's logo. It's also featured in the lyrics of several Ween songs, including Up on the Hill, Pass the Bong, and The Stallion Part 4. And then, like you know, like we were kept saying, Brown, the, ba- the band coined their term Brown, which is used to describe performances songs that are, as they say, fucked up in a good way. <laughs> so I guess there that's how they would describe Brown. There you go. Uh, the word brown is also featured in the lyrics of the song Can't Put My Finger On It, Mutilated Lips, and If You Could Save Yourself, You'd Save Us All, as well as Chocolate Town, and as well as the band's live album Painting the Town Brown. On After a 28-year run, Freeman quit the band in 2012, needing to focus on uh, some issues he was having with substance abuse. Ween reformed in late 2015 and toured extensively with no stated plans to release new recorded material on November 16, 2015. That's your birthday, Mason. Happy birthday. Uh, That's wild. <laughs> Ween announced that they would reunite for two concerts at First Bank Center in Broomfield, Colorado on the 12th and 13th of February in 2016. During ticket presale, a third show was added on Valentine's Day 2016 due to the demand and throughout 2016 they played sporadic reunion shows in minneapolis philly la boston new york and san francisco and then as far as pure guava goes specifically ween signed with electra records and released their major label debut pure guava on november 10th 1992 pure guava featured their highest charting single ever push the little daisies that's kind of crazy to me honestly that that was the one of the album that's yeah 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 of all their really really bizarre that's their most famous song yeah (laughs) It doesn't make any. It actually doesn't make sense to me that that was the one that I think for our for like kind of folks of mine and Noah's kind of generation, the SpongeBob generation, if you will, Ocean Man probably eclipses that. I would say, yeah, Yeah, that's true. For my generation, uh, they played "Push the Little Daisies" on Beavis and ButtHead, and Beavis and ButtHead made fun of it. And uh, (laughs) it was it was actually this is how the Boognish works. Like he works in mysterious ways. Like that was their hit. And they, it was such a hit in Australia that, like, they literally could just fucking hang out in Australia the rest of their lives like they're gods down there. Really? Yeah, wow. it was a That's huge really fucking, tight. like, legitimate. Because Australians get it, man. If you ever go down there, like, they're they're brown, man. They fucking get it. They, like, <laughs> okay. they okay. picked up on that shit from a mile away. I play Push the Little Daisies for people, and that's the song they're like, enough's enough. <laughs> Let's do this. Honestly, I'm kind of like, can we turn this Is one there down? stairway to heaven? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's Australia's stairway to heaven. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Crazy. Crazy. 
only all right what else we got here uh many of the songs on this album came from two tapes that the band had made for friends the first being titled spring tape and the second being titled the caprice classic tape uh the song big jim was inspired by a car dealer named james a lemons who worked at the dealership Mm -hmm. owned by dean ween's father and last but not least, in 1999, Ned Raggett, writing for the website Freaky Trigger, that's such an insane name for a website, uh, named Pure Guava the 53rd best album of the 90s, hailing it as, quote, the greatest major label debut after an indie career record of the decade. That same Fuck. year, German magazine Specs included the album on their 100 best albums of the 20th century, and Aphex Twin named it one of his 10 favorite albums of all time, and it was one of what? two Ween albums in there being The Pod. So those are huge for Aphex Twin. I don't what? have any experience with Aphex Twin, Me, but I don't that really your e- mind? I, I don't either, but my friends who I, I know have great taste, every one of them is like, that's a huge glaring you know, a hole in my musical knowledge is Aphex sure. Twin. I respect the shit out of him, and I like what I've heard, but I haven't done a deep dive. But it shocks me that he's into Ween. So it makes me want to okay. explore it more. Mason, do you listen to Aphex Twin at all? Does that surprise you? Same exact thing as same exact thing as Sean. Uh, the fact that he I and also similar to Sean, the fact that he's such a big ween head might be the key that helps the unlock. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Well, we've gotten to the part. We've gotten to the to the little secret that we kept from you guys. We do this little thing at the end of everything, at the end of each item that we talk about, where we give a Mercedes valuable player. Of course, it's named after Mercedes Ruel from Married to the Mob. Her great performance in that movie. Everyone knows that. That's an obvious thing. Mm-hmm. No, never have to explain that, that to because anyone. I always forget. I always forget yeah. what it means. Yeah. Yeah, I always explain it to Mason because Mason forgets every. He wakes up every day and forgets that that's why it's called the Mercedes valuable player. But it can be anything. It can be a song. It can be an element of the album. It can be a person involved with the making of the album. But Sean and Cass, what is or who is your Mercedes Valuable Player of Pure Guava by Ween? Um, I'm going to say one uh, uh, that's a little unexpected, but um, Andrew Please. Weiss, who uh, was like the third member of Ween, and he just he, he played bass on some of their stuff, but um, he mixed all these albums. Mm, okay he's the one that put that layer of gunk on this fucker i i suppose you know i know he worked in in collaboration with them but uh he needs to get shouted out when you're talking about early ween for sure uh yeah i want to shout that motherfucker out even when they had a falling out they kicked him out of the band and they and they made the mollusk and they finished the mollusk and mixed it and they were like this ain't right and and they had to like kind of sweet talk them. They were like, "Could you mix this? I'm sorry. <laughs> you know? Could you maybe please come back and make our album sound like we need it to? Yeah, yeah, exactly. kind of. And it, and it gave all those those albums that you know the sounds that we're we're all talking about. And like I said, there's a beautiful songs and musicianship behind all of that stuff. But I credit him with with adding some of that brown that brown layer. What about you, Cassie? What about you, Cass? Yeah, Santana. Ooh, Carlos Santana, shout out. Because this is kind of a funny story that um, uh, Dean got uh, word that Santana's guitar was like by by one of our roadies that's like... Santana's playing tomorrow night and we already set up his shit. We have his guitar. And so they break in and... Holy uh, shit. Break out and record... um, A solo. A solo. I don't think it was on this album, though. No, but, okay, does it have to be for Pure Guava? No, I was shouting out Carlos Santana. Why not? Fuck it. (laughs) Fuck it. Let's give it a, yeah. Yeah, shout it out. Why not? Why not? I I rode an elevator with Carlos Santana once, just me and him. Just, I was at the ground floor of the Hard Rock Casino. 
I, I got in the elevator and then he did. And I was just like, yo, Carlos Santana. And he was like, hey. <laughs> <laughs> Same thing with Gene Simmons. I was like, you're Gene Simmons. And oh, he was wow. like, yes. Sat in silence. I was like, okay. Damn. He strikes me as a he has a, Gene Simmons has a very prickly personality. From well, yeah, yeah. He he loves being a fucking douchebag. He loves it. So yeah, that's his favorite. That is actually his favorite thing in the world. I think. Yeah. And selling. Didn't he shit. have a show? Yeah, yeah, selling shit. Didn't he have a show on like A and E or that's, whatever? Yeah, that's how Family I saw Jewels. Him. Yeah, that's how oh, I that's saw how you saw. Him. Him. I used to work okay. over there. Yeah. Holy okay. shit! That is nuts. <laughs> I wanted to come from a unexpected place with that one, so. Yeah, Cass coming out yeah. of left field. Left field, yeah. Hell yeah. yeah. I had no Cass. idea that it, that's uh, really cool. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, what Cass. about you, Mace? Uh, I'm going to give mine just to the concept of pitch shifting. Uh, yes. I love how they play okay. around with pitch shifting in this album. Just play around with the voice there. Uh, I think it's really cool. It kind of it's it's cool that it like predates. It's kind of like right after like the kind of vocoder sort of like period. Like your Peter Peter Framptons or your Herbie Hancock's, and he was playing mm-hmm. around with that stuff. And before you get into auto-tune and how people have been playing with auto-tune, I like that this comes like sort of right in the middle there from what I can tell. And I think it just, the way that they play with the voice is just so fucking funny. Uh, and that's yeah, why it's my God. MVP. So, Noe, what do you got? Well, I was going to do say something a little more traditional, but since we're all sort of coming phew, right out of left field, <laughs> I'm going to do something a little different. I want to get a little funky with it. I'm going to say that my Mercedes Valuable Player is the part in Pumping for the Man where he says, you can think about how New Hope sucks. Yeah. Like, <laughs> just saying that, <laughs> that yeah. Star Wars, the biggest movie in theory of all time, is like uh, a piece of uh, shit. Uh, like, that's yeah. crazy to say. No, they're song, talking so. about uh, New Hope, Pennsylvania, man. That's the that's the. Oh, town. they're talking about New Hope, Pennsylvania? Oh, yes. my bad. Okay. But, I okay. mean, well, look, who can't relate with talking about how their hometown sucks fucking shit, you know? Yeah, yeah exactly. I'm <laughs> there right now, and I, uh, <laughs> I f- feel that big time. So that is that is my that is my Mercedes Viable yeah. player. And, of course, we have to say whether we'd recommend this album. I absolutely would recommend this album. I wouldn't start here, like no. uh, Sean and Cass said. I think you make it's like cheesecake. You sort of make your way from the back forward because uh, that's the good stuff. But I would say this is an absolute recommend. Don't start here, but I do recommend. Mason, do you recommend this album? Exact same thing as you, exact same qualifiers, exact same recommendation. Uh, Fuck yeah. Yeah, let's keep going. Sean uh, and Cass, John you, Cass, I mean, you guys can say if you recommend it or not. I highly recommend if you from. if you have access to, like, so an eighth of mushrooms or something, throw this fucker on, like, an hour four of that journey and just laugh your ass off and groove out. Like, Damn. it's so good. I think cool. if you made it to this point in this conversation, you can handle it. So dive yeah. in and enjoy yeah. yourself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Taste <laughs> the guava. Yeah, man. Taste the waste. Yeah. Taste the ways, taste the guava. Speaking of tasting guava, we got another sweet boy to talk about on the podcast. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. And that is 1978, the uh, documentary by Martin Scorsese, American Boy. Let's get some snaps going in the chat for American Boy by Martin Scorsese. Yeah. Uh, we we when we were trying to figure out what movie we were going to talk about on this, unfortunately, I did squash the beef on your guys's first pick just oh, because yeah. I wanted to make sure that we had you know enough time to really cover everything. I didn't want to make I didn't want you know this to go too long or whatever. So unfortunately, I did squash the beef on that first pick. But <laughs> how'd you guys end up picking this after I shot you down like the man that I am? Um, like we could have gone in so many directions, kind of like the album. But uh, usually, the first thing that pops into our head is pretty good and. 
uh, yeah, American Boy is one of those Scorsese movies I don't think a lot of people have seen or know about. Sure, and right. It's so it's so raw and um, in our aesthetic. And um, I, yeah, I just I remember once some friends asked me to curate a screening for uh, a documentary club they oh, were having, yeah. and I think they wanted me to play one of my own movies, but I was like, can we just play American Boy? And, yeah. and I loved sitting there. I felt like the filmmaker, my heart was racing because like this place filled up and I'm like, whoa, all these people are about to see this fucking weird ass thing that I, like, I put yep. on. And so, yeah, it, it played really well yeah. to that crowd. So I was like, uh, yeah, let's get it out there. Let's talk about this one. Hell yeah. What's your, what's your relationship with this one, Cass? How, when did you, this one come into your life? What do you, what's your background with American Boy? Uh, Sean introduced me to it and I loved it and I just want to, make movies like this and it's kind of funny like as podcasters too it kind of has a hybrid feel of it where it's like a a conversation too and uh, I mean you can we you watch it enough times and you still can't remember every story and the stories are like the most fantastic stories ever so um, yeah it's it's uh, and those are the kind of people you want to be around and hang out with and and uh, you know give tribute to so it's a a pleasure trip for us hell yeah what about you Mace uh, never seen this before. Never seen uh, a Scorsese short documentary before. Um, so this is such a treat. I turned it into a little um, Scorsese, uh, a new to me Scorsese double feature, and I watched this last night. And then after I watched The Age of Innocence, also for the first time, and that movie oh, is yeah. a that movie is a blast and a half. Um, but yeah, no familiarity with this, and I was really happy that we've we've been on a little documentary kick on the show. Actually, I think this is like one of our third or fourth in about five or six episodes of like just documentaries that we've that we've brought on and covered. So it was, I was really happy that you guys continued the streak mm. here. Um, and especially something that was like short form and a little older and, and interesting in its own way. But we can get to that after Noah tells us. Yes. About your relationship yeah. with, <laughs> with this bad boy. With this, with, with, yeah. With this American yeah. boy, with yeah. this yeah. American boy, <laughs> with this bad boy, American boy we got here. Um, so, it's kind of you can't really talk about this movie. I feel like without talking about Taxi Driver a little bit, oh, uh, because this man <laughs> that is the profile of American Boy. You guys are you guys. Sean and Cass are like having a little fun with there. like yeah, they're they're changing the color and they're living their living recording space or something. On us. Yeah, it does feel like a Scorsese. We're in the Scorsese movie portion of this. Like this is. <laughs> Yeah, this is the this is we've walked into the casino from Casino. We've walked into the, we've, we've walked we've walked into uh, Leo DiCaprio's Quaalude trip. It does actually look very similar to the first time that Daniel Day Lewis sees Michelle Pfeiffer in Age of It. Yeah. <laughs> so, yep. Damn, damn, love that. But you can't really talk about this without talking about Taxi Driver a little bit because the subject of American Boy has a very brief. But if you've seen Taxi Driver, you remember this character right off the bat. He plays Easy Andy, the gun salesman. In Taxi Driver about maybe like halfway through the movie, Travis Bickle mm-hmm. goes yeah. to buy some weapons or look at some weapons and he's just there and telling him about it. And you're like, who is this guy? Where did Scorsese find this guy? I've never seen this guy before. And I watched Taxi Driver for the first time when I was like 14 years old. So I was far mm-hmm. too young to like fully appreciate what was going on. But I knew in my gut, like this is one of the best movies ever made. Like I just knew in my gut, like Taxi Driver is what is a masterpiece far in a way, but I didn't fully appreciate it until I rewatched it only for the second time ever this last summer. I watched it in June of last year just to be like, okay, what's really going on with taxi driver? Like, what are we really like <laughs> looking at here? And it still to this day, I mean, that movie came out in 76 and it's 2021. It was 2020 at the time, but all those years later, 
It's one of the most disturbing movies yeah. I've ever seen in my <laughs> yeah. entire life. Yeah. It's it fucking gnarly. And it's amazing and handles the violence and the perverseness of everything in just this very masterful way. But Easy Andy always sticks out. He's always, you know, in the back of my mind when I'm watching. I'm like, okay, we're going to get to that scene. And he's mm-hmm. just going to steal Robert De Niro's thunder. I yeah. mean, Robert De Niro is one of the greatest actors of all time. And this unprofessional or not, not a non-professional actor comes in and just clocks him over the head in yeah. this scene with just energy and just so much like ferocity. So I had to check out American Boy after that. I was like, okay, this is finally time to watch American Boy. And I watched it. And I liked it, but it didn't quite hit with me because I think I was on a bit of a taxi driver high, so I was like still sort of swimming in that soup a little bit, still swimming in that universe. But then rewatching it for this, I had a full, a full new appreciation for it. Really, really enjoyed sort of the angle that he was taking. Really, just sort of lets the subject guide whatever he's doing. Really, just lets him be himself. Mm. So I'm, you know, coming at this thing like thinking about so many different things, but I'm curious. Uh, to you guys, you know, straight up off the bat, in what way has this influenced your documentaries that you make? You know, it's it's weird because uh, I d- we had made so many films. I, I think we had we we had made most of our films by the time we even discovered this movie. Oh, so okay. it, oh, it was one of those things that I was like, wow. In, in, in retrospect, I'm like, there, there's a lot of rawness that um that like. Like somehow we hadn't seen that, but it it did influence us, or maybe it gave permission for us to be as raw as we've been in some of our films. Because the, sure. the character, the, the uh, Stephen Prince, and is that his name? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he his that that character. He's a, he's a lot like this guy that we had in one of our films called The Bowler, a short documentary we did about a bowling right. wrestler. Yeah, yeah. So, so it felt very similar to that, and I, I just uh, like uh, and, and the way he divided it up. And it just divided it up by story and kept it really raw. There's people coming and going. The camera's all over the place. Like, I love all of that. Like, it really takes you into the moment. You feel like you're hanging out with them. And, um, yeah, it's 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 one of those things that um, I think it'll probably influence future work that we did. If anything, like the sure. like Cass is saying, like the the podcasting element to it. Like, I'm like, I think we can make podcasts more cinematic as as they go on because we're shooting ours now. Okay. So, yeah. um, and, and we're always looking for people like that, just natural storytellers, people that, that have the goods and know how to fucking give them out. So yeah, it's, uh, it, it, I, I think it's like a low key masterpiece of his and it's definitely sure. co- mm-hmm. cocaine fueled and coffee fueled. It's very that. cokey. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. It's very interesting to see Marty Scorsese in that time period, in that late seventies period after Taxi Driver, but before Raging Bull. And just, you know, he's he really kind of removes himself ultimately from the movie once Steve shows up. But in those, like, first, like, five or so minutes, and you just kind of get to see him, like, sitting around and, like, yeah. talking to the, the actor whose house he's at, it's like, wow. It's, like, almost weird to see, like, a guy who's such a legend just sort of, like, hanging out, like, in his own movie. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. like, really yeah. bizarre. No, it's it's cool. It reminds it it reminds me a lot of uh, of the, that film, The Bowler, we made. Like when when this guy would right. come around, like the idea that I was the director or that someone was the producer or the cinematographer, all that fucking melted away. Like he, he he's obviously sure. the star, and like you just, it's funny watching Scorsese yeah. trying to wrangle him though. It's uh, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 like I, I'm glad that eventually he's he's more off camera because it was stressing me out watching Scorsese sitting there skipping, like sipping coffee and, and making sign like hand motions like yeah, yes. move it along. Okay, well, yeah, well, tell me the next part of the story. I'm like, yo, chill out. It, it's, it's like yeah. the opposite of how we go about doing things. I'm like, yo, just yeah. let this fucking 
you know. But, but he's uh, working with film. He's, so. Yeah, he's working with film, and they're like, okay, yeah. we, have, we have two minutes left. Can we tell the story in two minutes? I don't think we tell the story in two minutes. <laughs> yeah, that's how the movie literally starts. Is he's yeah. like, how much film do we got in the camera? He probably yeah. just did a line of coke or something yeah. like that, and he's like, no, we can't do it. We got you know, make sure like it's like getting ready for a surprise party almost. It's like, did yeah. Steve? know that he was going to be like on camera when he got there like you know i have to think probably but like it has that element of like don't tell anyone that we're doing this like this is like a secret operation almost yeah yeah um it's interesting that the movie yeah no go for it go for it i I love how it starts like uh and and i remember this and when we hit play on it today i was like yo any movie that starts with two motherfuckers in a hot tub like, I, I was yeah. just, like, like it just cuts in and it's just like they're in a hot tub and like Scorsese's like he's like trying to keep his papers like he, like like papers like what the fuck what do you even have on yeah. those papers and he's like, he, <laughs> yeah he's, he's telling Steve to get on the other side of the hot tub he's like he's like Could, would you mind getting over on the other side and then it, it just comes in with that Neil that Neil Young song time fades away and it's just fucking killer and then it just goes in and like I, I love how it starts like it then we're in this world we're just like in some guy's living room and we're waiting for this dude to show up when he shows up they just wrestle for like five minutes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that that moment and I I'm curious if Bennett Miller had seen that prior to making Foxcatcher. Oh. Because there's a scene in Foxcatcher where Steve Carell is like in the trophy room mm. with all of the wrestlers with uh Mark Ruffalo's character and Shannon Tatum's character. And I remember seeing I remember seeing Foxcatcher in theaters. I went with my friend and this woman is on speakerphone behind us in the movie, <laughs> like as the movie's about to start. And it was the only time in my life where I've ever just like straight up reacted and been like openly mean to a stranger oh, in man. this way where I got, I turned around, stood up and I said, excuse me, the movie is starting now. And she just like hung up and just like oh put her phone God. away and yeah. nobody talked the rest of it. It was just <laughs> so nice. quiet. And I was like, damn, I could do that every day of my life if I wanted to. Look at the power that I have in this moment. But there's that moment in Foxcatcher when Steve Carell just decides to start wrestling with the wrestlers. Like he like and it goes on for a long time. So mm. I have to imagine Bennett Miller's maybe pulling from that moment in there, but oh, I bet. who knows? I bet. I don't know. Well, this uh, has obviously inspired a lot of people. I mean, it inspired Quentin Tarantino, I would think, for uh, Pulp yeah. Fiction and yeah, everything, yeah, yeah. his stories. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he stole like, that story for Pulp Fiction. I don't know. I don't know if he got permission or how that worked, but the 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 last story that Steve Prince tells in the movie the, about the adrenaline shot to this girl's heart who was overdosing. Yeah. It is beat for beat the exact same scene from yeah. <laughs> from Pulp Fiction. It's pretty – yeah, I wonder how that worked. Yeah, I really think that maybe Quentin owes Marty some, some money on that one. <laughs> owes him a little bit of a chunk of change on that one. I mean, Reservoir uh, Dogs is a ripoff of uh, of a Hong Kong film. Uh, that, like, yeah, yeah. Just, it's uh, like City on Fire or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, which, yeah, which is a great like movie. Great fucking movie. But, like, the whole plot and everything all, down to weird details is uh, – and they never got credit. Yeah. yeah. Weird. He is. That's kind of his thing is that he just blatantly steals things from his favorite shit and yeah. then puts his QT spin on it. And mm-hmm. everyone's like, I've never seen this before in my life. And it's like, well, that's just because you're not watching the movies that Quentin yeah. Tarantino is watching. Because <laughs> yeah. if you were, you probably know exactly what he's pulling from. Right. Um, I have this weird question, not to get like too far ahead of ourselves, but it really hit me this time and I guess last time as well, but I've always wondered what your guys take on the ending of the movie is. 
because of the amount of takes and the amount of like behind the scenes quote unquote that we see between Marty and Steve in that moment like yeah. the rest of the movie is not like that and then in that final beat Marty really seems to be curating that response what do you think's going on there yeah, it's it's it is a strange one because the whole movie they're they're leaving rawness in there. Like at one point, Marty looks at the camera and he's like, "Oh, the editor should take this part out because we're blowing the story right now." And it, like you're leaving right. stuff like that in, you're leaving lens changes in, you're seeing, you're, you're leaving there, there's slates in there, and yeah. and not only that, the way that they edited it. Um, you know, he would tell a story about his dad, and as he's finishing saying it, he'd be like, "And uh, and they would just like cut out." like at that moment so there's like a lot of rawness and stuff like it's it's not tight so you wouldn't think he was directing like that like based on the on right. the, on the way they set up the whole movie and then at the end you're like huh first of all at the at the end i'm like i'm thinking they never got back around to that hot tub whatever the fuck that was like this movie's so <laughs> right. like, like honestly i'm just like this movie's just like wildly coked out and um that just felt like the most electric thing to do in the edit and I don't know. I can't really wrap my head around what you would be really be going for with that. But I, I, I do remember thinking it was profound because they had set up such a raw atmosphere. Exactly. Yeah. Any thoughts on that one, Cass? I, I just think it's so it go. It kind of feels like it goes against everything that the movie sets up, like you're saying, Sean. But it yeah. is it's memorable and very poignant. But you have any thoughts on that one, Cass? I kind of go back and forth about it because I like I, watching it this time. I was like, I don't like this. But then I was like. It and, it and it doesn't really feel like he got anywhere with him trying to, like, prime him. I don't know. It yeah. didn't feel like he got... So he, I think what happened is, like, he wanted to... In the edit, he wanted to put something in about his dad and wanted to put that moment in. And no individual one was powerful enough. So it was, like, kind of what was most powerful was, like, okay, let's see where he goes with being prodded a little bit. Mm. And, it, and it's, they, like, there wasn't a there there. And I think that Marty was and just, they kind like, of leaned into how, like, kind of rough or kind of i guess and it's also like you have to imagine like that section was coming at the end of a very very long night too and they were probably all kind of beat by the making of the thing like yeah as podcasters you know like yeah you're just having a conversation with people but sometimes having a conversation especially if it's with noah is very very exhausting (laughs) (laughs) yeah having a conversation with me is the worst thing in the entire world i would agree with you on that uh but no i like Cass's point there and i just think that it's like he probably just was like yeah i have this i know this is the point i want to end it on um, but there's not one sort of like unified thing that works. And then he just decided to sort of like lean into how rough it was going to end up looking. Um, and I love that. Like, that's what one thing that I really liked about watching this movie was how much Marty and like the editing team and, and the filmmakers just leaned into the, the spontaneity of it yeah. and kind of the spot. And I think that that's sort of like, that's, I think, true to the character of Stephen Prince too. Like he, is when he's telling the story you kind of like just he's such a good storyteller one like i i just want there to be like an entire like just ted talk of just him talking through just like shit that he like went through um but he doesn't strike you as a person that has any kind of plan for how his life was going to to go work Mm -hmm. out and i think that like just leaning into the kind of more the imperfections or whatever you want to call it is like true to the character of stephen prince um yeah that's just like my my read on it. No, do you have a read on on the ending there, or what do you like about it? It, uh, it it's tough. I'm. I think I'm on Team Cass a little bit here, where I just everything that is set up prior feels so unadorned and so un like 
untouched in a way where it just really just feels like this is this guy's reaction. So when you leave in Marty telling him like, hey, we're going to do that moment again, it feels a little bit of a betrayal to me as the viewer. And I'm, you know, that might seem like an insane word to use for this short subject documentary, but it really does feel a little bit like, hey, what were we seeing earlier like that we did what were we seeing earlier that maybe wasn't exactly what we thought it was or what are we seeing earlier that was taken multiple times to get the best performance yeah. quote unquote out of Steven which I guess sort of adds to the Steven Prince character because of how outlandish he is as a guy you know that story about getting shot in the thigh with speed you know oh when he's God. like yeah making the making the stage or whatever it's like okay did that really happen that way I don't know, but he's telling it to me that way, and that's how he remembers it, or at least that's how he wants it to be sort of as a thing. But I did feel a little bit of a sense of betrayal on the part of the filmmaker where I'm like, everything felt so just natural that that moment where Marty is very obviously like, hey, we're going to do it again, makes me ask more questions than anything else. I still really enjoyed the movie, but... Kind of pissed me off. Not gonna lie, kind of, kind of pissed me off a little bit. Well, and also um, because it came right after, like they have him pull out a gun, and he's yeah. flaring yeah. a gun around. It's yeah. like that's that's where you end. Like if if it's me in the edit room, I'm like, yeah, the last thing in this movie should be like a freeze frame with this guy with a fucking gun, and like <laughs> cut back to the Neil Young song. <laughs> uh, it's, and it, I do like that they decide to end with the dad story because I think what the like structural magic of this movie is, is like you see this guy. I don't know how old Steven Prince is. He's 29. He's 29 in that movie. Okay. He's this 29 year old dude has lived like five lifetimes in this like very young, like a very small amount of time on earth. And he comes in and he's wrestling that guy whose house it is and they're mm. fighting. And the stories start and they're huge. They're these tall tales. It's Paul Bunyan sized yeah. like myths. And then the more that the movie goes on, the smaller the tales get. Yes. And exactly. the more raw mm-hmm. that you feel Steve is being with you. You feel like I'm getting closer to the center of who Steve is. So you start out with these like raw grand tales of like you know, my my aunt was this, and they were always hitting me over the head with newspapers, yeah. and they're like, these big productions. But then by the end, it's like, yeah, heroin really messed me up. And that's like, like the, that's the vibe that you get with him by the end, and that's the yeah. magic, I think, of the movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. He, and he can't quite get into, like, his feelings towards his father, which is like... Exactly. Mm, yeah, I, a, I think there we that's go, really folks. astute. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think, it's I, just, and, and it's also like it's spotlighting like this. This guy is an actor, like you know. Yeah, so yeah. We're doing multiple takes here. This, this is acting. You know, these are stories, and it does start to blur the line. And you know, I, I think that, um, like, you know, they made a follow up to this. Have you seen American Boy Two? No, uh, I have not seen the follow up, but I've heard really good things, and I think it came out with like his. Scorsese shorts or whatever criterion. Oh, real. Oh, cool. Yeah, I think I Linklater think it did. did it, and uh, and Robert Rodriguez. Like it was like a few directors sitting down with him again, and it's the same type of deal. He's just telling stories oh, for sure. like an hour, um, and it's it's really cool. But it details a little bit more about his relationship with those guys, and I think he was Marty's assist uh, first AD on set. Mm. So I, oh, I think okay. he started making friends with all these guys, and the stories started to come out. And you know, he's obviously a character and. Yeah, uh, he he tells a lot more of that stuff in the second one, 
but he also tells some some other fucking even crazier stuff about hanging out with Robbie Robertson from the band and Marty oh, wow. and all the drugs yeah. they did and the guns firing guns out of the out of fucking <laughs> apartment windows in New York City and shit. Holy and, shit. Yeah. Rock so. and roll. Yeah, totally. Totally. <laughs> Total rock and roll life. Yeah. Real rock and roll move shooting an open weapon out of a window I in New know, York City. Like, yeah, dude. Yeah. So Do you guys have a favorite story that like one that comes to mind whenever you think of this movie? I mean, it's hard not to think of that adrenaline needle thing because yeah. it's just like, holy shit. But um, the gorilla think. one got me this time. Oh, the guy yeah. with the gorilla the gr- in his house, you know, little things <laughs> yeah. like that. Just like these little moments. I, I really think that, you know, it's uh, it went, the, the story he's hesitant to, to tell about that that kid who got electrocuted. Yeah. yeah, that's a that's a moment. That's like you know, as a person one, who edits yeah. these kind of movies and put like you know that that's one of the ones where you're like, okay, where are we gonna put that? That's like that's the gut punch of this thing. We got to put that in the right spot and you know build up to that or whatever. But I I like that they showed like uh, you know he was a little hesitant to talk about that and you you could see he almost had to you could almost see the mask he had to put on to even tell yeah. that story without being overcome yeah. with emotions. And then yeah. right at the end, you see him unmask for a second, and then it cuts out, and we're on to the next one. I love that. Yeah, 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 yeah. There, the moment that I think – I don't know. It feels brave to put in the movie. I think there's a lot of brave things to put in this movie, but one moment in particular that feels brave, knowing that this movie was shot in 1977 and came out in 78, is the story about him – not being accepted into the military because he had had sexual relations with men. Yeah. You know, that feels very, that feels very honest and brave, like straight up. And, you know, I think that nowadays maybe that would be a little bit more of like a, like, Oh, well like fuck the system for that. But I think back in the day, it's like a, how did you even get to that point? You know, where you're like at that place in your life where you're a entering the military and B like you would even, say that like they could kill you like straight up like yeah. they could like straight up kill you in that moment and the fact that he did it at all and b decided to share that on film i thought was really brave oh I, did I'm... you know that's how did you know that's how hendrix uh dodged the draft was by claiming that he had homosexual really i mean he no. might have i don't know if, i don't know that from hendrix but that was a, a an urban legend i remember was that that's how he uh got out of the draft was by saying that he had a homosexual wow Ooh, damn and maybe okay. that's true. I don't know. I don't know. Anything. As we as Noah learned recently, I don't know much about Jimi Hendrix. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't know jack shit about Jimi Hendrix, but, you know, place to grow. But what were you going to say about that moment, Sean? Uh, I'm glad you brought that up because when we were watching it this time, that was the moment where I was like, oh, that's, a, that's another reason this is a masterpiece and an important film because that's like the time capsule element to it. Like a lot of the stories, sure. uh, you know, are, are kind of timeless and like could be taking place now, but that one, it's like – man, you got to remember what it was like for these motherfuckers. And that was only yeah. seven years before the making of that movie, you know, and, and just like, just, it, it was so charged. It just said so much about the times and so much about what people were going through. And yeah, I, I remember thinking like flagging that as like, yeah, that that's definitely a fucking important moment for this, the time capsule quality of this film. Absolutely. And it's interesting because I don't know, as someone who went to film school and someone who like, doesn't have any family working in quote unquote the industry when he was sort of talking about his like uncle who like knew all these other people or like how his family was like somewhat connected to like showbiz and stuff like that like I was like damn dude like this is just like a Royal Tenenbaums-esque guy who's just like you Mm. know had like 
life almost handed to him on a silver platter as far as like the dude was neil diamond's road manager yeah. when he was like 21 or yeah. years old or some shit and it's yeah. like a how do you get in that position to do that and b how do you not fuck that up so royally that you'll never work in entertainment again yeah you know? <laughs> but he had a little bit of that magic touch you know he had a little bit of that 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 magic thing whatever that is for a person it just that ending moment makes me think like, is any of this for real? Is this all, you know, some grand illusion designed by Scorsese? How much of it is real? How much of it is that? I don't know. Yeah. It makes me think. Yeah. I don't for know. Sure. Maybe that's what he's like. The, the, the goal. I don't know if you have this in the fast facts, but that kind of maybe makes me think that that was his goal. And Martin Scorsese's goal in making this was like to get to the bottom of who this guy is like beneath all these like kind of tall tales. And I don't know. I liked it. It ends on an ambiguous note like that. Oh, um, of course. Yeah, yeah, I do love that. <laughs> yeah, ending on the ambiguity. It's more definitely more interesting than ending on the, yeah, that's my life, you know, and that's my speech. You <laughs> put down your note cards and, yeah. <laughs> you know, sit back down in class. It's definitely more interesting to end on the ambiguity. Um, is there anything else worth noting about American Boy from you guys? Um, I, I would say that it's part of when you said you did a double feature with it, I would, I thought you were going to say that you watched Italian American, which is another short oh, that no. about his parents no, in the same year. I mean, I was so smitten by American boy. I think I'll do uh, Italian American just cause it's easy to find on the criterion channel. Same place you find this one, you yeah. find that one. But, uh, no, no, it made me really curious to see his short works, which I don't have as much familiarity with. Yeah. That's a good one. Have you guys seen any of the uh, like his student films, like uh, What's a Nice Girl Like You Doing in a Place Like This yeah. or The Big Shave or stuff like that? Yeah, yeah. I, I wrote my uh, senior thesis about Martin Scorsese films, so I, I did a, the deepest Damn. dive you could do. Hell yeah, But dude. somehow couldn't find this. I, I, I wasn't aware of American Boy. Uh, somehow, like, I, I was thought I was a Scorsese expert, and I hadn't seen this until, like, four years ago, so. Does Scorsese come into your guys's mind besides this film does scorsese enter your mind whenever you're getting ready to make a doc or is he like that like a mount rushmore type guy for you in that way or what is his influence on you as far as a as far as a director i, I mean he was just like the first person that i that made me want to be a director i saw a taxi driver i was even younger than you i was like 10 years old when i saw a taxi driver and oh, you know uh, like goodfellas is, is my favorite movie and it, like he he's such an influence, but it's not very specific to anything he does except like the level of excitement. I like that he approached Goodfellas and he said, let's make a movie that, you know, like the excitement of a trailer. Let's do that for the whole movie. Sure. And, and yeah. like, you know, like yeah. it's it's like little shit like that. Like that that's stuff when 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 we're trying to make something, we'll, it, we're, we're kind of like that. And I think we, we share a similar process to him. But um the people we really look up to in the doc world are like Ross McElwee and Les Blank, like guys like oh, that. Oh, sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Have you I, – I watched I watched Sherman's March when I was like way too young to like mm. fully like appreciate mm. it. Uh, but it is it, – that movie is so interesting because it's like highly intellectual in some ways mm. and then in some ways like highly – humane and like doesn't like go like highbrow I don't, that's a very interesting that's movie. that's all his work like you know you can you know he's a smart guy he's a harvard professor like he, he's yeah. he's brilliant but he brings in a level of uh, of his personal life and and such candor about it that you know that uh yeah i i know what you mean by that you should watch his one called six o'clock news it's fucking okay. incredible oh my what's God. the one okay. he did about his son Oh, photographic memory. Oh, also very good. Everything like there's not a bad Ross McElwee movie or Les Blank. 
Les Blank is uh that that is a truly underrated guy right there. Thank yeah. God for yeah. Criterion for yeah. preserving hit most of his work or as much work as they can because I've seen some gems yeah. uh, from him and it's just like damn where what do you where do you find this if not for Criterion mm-hmm. saving this shit you know? know it's amazing. Anything else worth noting or should I dive? I only got a couple fast facts cool. right here. One of which will absolutely blow your mind. Uh, which... I got something I want to say real quick. Yeah, <laughs> go for it. Hot bagels. Hot, Hot bagels. bagels. That's great. <laughs> Hot bagels, baby. That's it. Uh, American Boy, a profile of Stephen Prince is a 1978 documentary directed by Scorsese. Its subject, Scorsese's friend Stephen Prince, is known for his small role Easy Andy as the gun salesman and taxi driver. Uh, while ta- when talking of his years as a heroin addict, Prince tells a story about injecting adrenaline into the heart of a woman who overdosed with the help of a medical dictionary and a magic marker. The story was then reenacted by Mr. Quint- Quentin Tarantino himself in Pulp Fiction. Prince also tells a story about his days working at a gas station and having to shoot a man he caught stealing tires after the man pulled a knife and tried to attack him. That story was retold by Richard Linklater in Waking Life. That movie is fucking crazy. Oh, Waking mm. Life. That is a crazy ass movie, one that I actually need to rewatch. Haven't seen that one since like high school. But the one that real this fact really blew my mind, and I don't know if you guys knew this, but this like completely recontextualized the movie for me. They shot with Stephen Prince for fifteen entire hours. What this the was fuck? not just sit down and like for like two hours or whatever and like rattle off the best stuff that you got. That's fifteen wow. hours of footage sorting through and deciding what they're going to put in. That is insane yeah, to me. Yeah. That 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 is a one hour movie out of fifteen hours of footage. <sighs> Blows my mind. Wow, the Incredible stories that must have hit the cutting room floor too. Like I would I love to see somebody fucking fuck around with that stuff. The hot yeah. tub. That would be amazing. The hot tub. Hot I want to know what went on in that hot tub. Yeah, yeah what give me was this going the on in that hot tub? <laughs> the hot tub cut. That's what I yeah, want. Everyone's talking about the Snyder cut. I'm gonna build I want a, the hot tub cut. I'm going to build a time machine to get to this hot tub footage. I'm going to call it a hot tub <laughs> time machine. What do you guys think uh, about that? <laughs> Hell yeah, dude. Um, my Mercedes valuable player for this. I'm not going to try and go out of left field, but it's, it's just it's Stephen Prince. I mean, there's not a lot to, you know, it's a short movie. There's not a ton to pull from, but... He's just a dynamic guy. It's just uh, you could watch him talk for hours. And like what you guys were saying about the podcast meets movie idea here, it really does feel like a big old interview, a big old living podcast that's really fun because you get to see him act it out. You get to see those little moments that are harder to capture on audio where he's going into, you know, shy mode or he's going to open up or he doesn't know what he's going to say next. So. It's got to be Stephen Prince for me, and this is a full recommend for me. If you like Scorsese and haven't seen this, this is huge. Mace, what about you? Uh, my Mercedes Valuable Player is going to go. It's a it's a twofer. It's going to the editing team of Amy Holden Jones and Burt Lovett. Burt Lovett also Let's produced go. this film. Amy Holden Jones actually, I was checking her IMDb. Uh, wrote the movie Mystic Pizza. Had quite the career as a writer. Wrote or has oh. uh, created the wow. the Beethoven Saint Bernard character, and so. Uh, Buku, probably getting Buku Delores for that. Uh, Burt mm-hmm. Lovett was a career editor. This is the only thing he produced. Um, but yeah, so much of... I was really um, into the rhythm of this movie um, and how well those... Uh, in this just... How it pushed things along um, and just... Man, I was just thinking about like how um, those like kind of title cards with like the footage of Steven as a young boy, like yeah. they just hit every single time. And even though they're like basically interstitials or intertitles or whatever, 
that man they can really like affect um my relationship to the story i just heard and then like kind of cool me down for what's about to follow so and that's all in the editing baby yeah. so shout i wanted to give them a special shout out for this uh sean cass who are your mercedes valuable player um i have one i can't remember his name but uh the guy whose apartment or house they shot that at george something he was uh yeah, like an actor george something yeah i got you i i want to i think he is my most valuable player because as someone who's been in these situations you need a motherfucker like that around because he was buttering this guy up and scorsese might have sure. had all his notes there but this guy george was like no 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 yes him yeah, and and he's sitting there, and he was he was right there along with Scorsese, like prompting it, like no no no, tell the story better, like no no, take it back a little, like like you could tell, like he was the re- he the guy that he was wrestling with when he first got in there. Yeah yeah yeah, that was that was fucking incredible. Like that guy uh, is the co-star of the movie, and um, I I just yeah. I know as a director what he did for making that subject feel comfortable enough to even get sure. this stuff out and not like a rickety kind of uptight way because when the cameras are rolling, especially those kind of cameras and it's loud and there's crew around and stuff like that, it can, it can feel weird having that guy around and doing it at his house probably really made that movie. That's true. His house sort of acts as like not, it's obviously the setting of the film, but like, you know, you think about, Oh, they could have just done this in some studio, you know, but they didn't, they did it in his house. It's like, yeah, Steve's going to come alive here. Steve's going to shine here. Mm -hmm. If we do it at, George Mamoli's house. That's a great call. Yeah. yeah. You, Cass? Uh, well, I'll just preset it by having a shout out, like everyone who made this film possible and seeing it. And like a lot of times you'll see the obvious character, but like to actually go through and make the, you know, documentary that's a little um, unusual, probably doesn't have an obvious home or an obvious trajectory of being viewed sure. is like, I'm just very grateful that they made this and saw it for what it was and him for who he was. But my yeah. MVP will be that hot lady who sat behind him yes. most of the time yeah she's just smoking the cigarette just like out of focus Laughing. yeah, that was really, yeah. yeah. <laughs> one after the other with the cigarettes just yeah, like we've decided we like we recorded something like last weekend and we're like only problem is we didn't have enough hot babes so it's like you yeah. gotta make sure there's more hot babes always yeah hot this babes hanging around smoking something is is choice. i really feel like the hot babe economy is gonna explode once covid's done yeah. it's gonna be like <laughs> zoom stocks are gonna tank and then the hot babe is just gonna be oh yeah nothing but grow yeah, nothing but growth baby mm-hmm. we're very grateful for them and their short skirts and oh yeah we that's are coming. oh yeah <laughs> salute hell yes dude hell yes <laughs> amazing well i think that's it mason i think we did it i think we did the show guys that was this was a ton of fun i'm so happy you uh dropped into our our little uh nightmare dungeon here mm-hmm. and recorded this, up, this podcast us. with us cool yeah thank Super you guys fun. appreciate it you guys are the best uh, this was fun please thanks, man yeah, thank you. Please get off any plugs you want to get off. Make sure people know where to find you, what to do. Patreon.com slash Church of Chill. That's where you can hear our radio show and be part of our Discord community, which you're part of. Yep. Um, and, uh, yeah, we do this morning show now called The Come Up. And, uh, yeah, every weekday morning you can find us on YouTube, IGTV, at Very Ape TV, and uh, anywhere you hear the Very Ape podcast, the come, out, the come Up comes out every weekday morning. Hell yeah. yeah. Love that. Well, let me get a little. Let me get some plugs off. If we're doing plugs, I might as well get a couple of plugs off myself. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you can follow me uh, on Twitter at Noah Marger. You can follow me on Instagram at Noah Follow me on Letterboxd, 
Mo and Narger over there so that people in the industry can't see if I like their movie or don't like their movie. <laughs> uh, you can uh, follow this show on Twitter and Instagram at it's on the list pod on Twitter and it's on underscore the list on Instagram. Hey, guess what, freaks? Uh, I plugged the wrong show on accident when we recorded this. So I'm recording this uh, like the day before uh, this episode's supposed to be released. So that is fun. That is cool. And you can listen to my other podcast, my favorite podcast, the podcast about people's favorite things. If you haven't listened to the episode with Sean and Cass that I did a couple weeks ago, we talked about LSD, mostly. Uh, They talked about LSD, not me, but go ahead and listen to that one. That is a great episode of that podcast. This week, I will be talking to none other than Luke Taylor of The Shrimp Boys and twitch.tv slash The Luke Man. We will be talking about Power Rangers. So if that is your bag, do not miss it. Uh, it's a good episode, and that'll be out on Thursday. So the day the day before this, because we come out on Fridays now. Cool. And then, as always, your local government comedy on Instagram, YLG.world on Instagram, and your local government comedy on YouTube for the YouTube channel. All that stuff is in the show description, as always. But, Mason, take us home. Bring us out. Oh, folks, you can find me on Instagram at HotDogDebicki. You can find me on Letterboxd under my name. You can uh, listen to my other podcast, The Barn, a podcast about The Shield, wherever you get your podcasts uh, downloaded. Uh, I was going to recommend something, but once again, I forgot what it was. So I will just close out the show as we do, as always, by saying Black Lives Matter, Black Trans Lives Matter, abolish, defund the police, tell someone you love them, go for a long walk, watch some Very Ape Productions, buy their merch, and we will see you all next time. See ya. Peace and love.
cool.